Hello and welcome to Critical Line Item. My name's Tom Rablick and uh, welcome to our regular tax chat uh, with, with Lisa Gregg, our tax expert. So this week, with Lisa had a Twitter storm earlier on in the week. Lisa couldn't help herself. She was watching breakfast television and it's... And uh, she simply, absolutely went ballistic on Twitter, talking about the fact that end of financial year advertising was being uh, somewhat mischievous in saying everything was potentially tax deductible. So I'm not going to I'm not going to introduce this podcast any more, other than to turn to Lisa and say, "What in heaven's name were you on about?" Oh, Tom, welcome everyone. Yes, I oh, look. T- to be honest, I haven't got as many. Twitter followers as you, right? I've got probably, what, just over 300 or something like that. But I was sitting up in bed having my cup of tea as as my morning ritual, watching a bit of breakfast television and um, checking on the phone and seeing what's happened overnight all over the world. And I've just gone, I am sick. There was like three ads for various um, assets, if I can call it that, that said at the end, you could you know, do you know about the instant asset write-up? You can claim that, so it doesn't matter whether it's a motor vehicle, a ute, what was it, office office supplies, just about anything they could think of. They'd throw a little tagline well, well, at the you, end. Did, did yeah. you uh, you came across an ad from Officeworks and others? Yeah, I don't know if it's actually the Officeworks ad, but um, what ended up happening was it was I think it was someone trying to buy a buy a ute or something and saying, you know, you, you can spend up to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars on it, and um, you know, you could claim this as a tax deduction or um, EFS, um, as they say in the nice little EFS song. And um, the end of financial year also coincides with my birthday, Tom. So it was sort of one of those things where I actually quite enjoy end of financial year, except we're always too busy. And yes, the tw- and the Twitter storm did sort of I got picked up. I was one of the few tweets that just basically got amplified significantly for me. And then after I tweeted the first one, I then followed it up because then there was a there was a segment on said breakfast show from a finance person talking about what you should do to claim a tax deduction at the end of the year. And of course, as you know, that riles us accountants up because we're not allowed to give financial advice because we've lost our accountant's exemption. Uh, and so why should these finance people sort of give tax advice and broadly on the TV? So, yes, I did get a little bit put out. So you would ask me, yeah, why do I, I get put that. out? <laughs> yeah, well, why, why on earth did you lose your nut earlier on in the week? <laughs> well, I didn't lose my nut. I just tweeted it out and then just got amplified. So that's why I got quite excited about that. I checked. No, no, no. When, when you tweet about that stuff, you lose your nut. <laughs> I'm usually pretty conservative. Look, and the reason that it is, and I think my feeling is it's it's quite a tiring time for us accountants because as listeners to your CLI podcast know, you know, JobKeeper and, and the COVID stimulus packages have really tired us out and exhausted us since pretty much March. And usually we have a little calm before the storm in terms of getting ready for end of financial year and everyone wanting to get their tax returns done nice and early in July. So usually we just have a little quiet time. I know a lot of us accountants try and run away for a week and to a bit of sun and things like that. And of course, we can't do that either. And so I just felt I just was getting, look, it really got on my goat and it really annoyed me because us accountants have been the victim of media, advertising, political commentary, for you know since since covid since march where 
we've had to explain to our clients, well, what they actually said isn't exactly right or it doesn't it doesn't really, um, you know, you, you're not allowed to do this or no, you can't qualify for JobKeeper. And so I feel like we're the ones that sort of have to tell them that Santa Claus doesn't exist. And it's just, it, it's already a frustrating time and it's just compounded by um, leading advertising, if I can call it that, Tommy. Yeah, there, there's a bit of that. I mean, you, you've just mentioned that accountants have got to play a bad cop, which has happened uh, in, in some respects during the COVID-19 uh, period. What, what particularly annoys you about the end of financial year advertising when it comes to the ability of someone to claim a deduction for, for spending? Yeah, look, the, the biggest one I've got is you've got to understand how the taxes interact. And we have touched on it a little bit in the podcast as well. And the big one for me is when I've picked up a client that's basically bought a motor vehicle in their company, right? So this is what's getting pushed. There's there's the various motor vehicle and ute, ute companies that's saying, you know, buy this and get an instant asset write-off. And you've got to not just think about the income tax implications, but also fringe benefits tax implications. And we're in fringe benefit tax season now. Um, those fringe benefit tax returns need to be lodged by the 25th of June. And so what happens is if you bring a car into a company, it's not pretty much 100% business use, I wouldn't have thought. I would think that there would be some private component. So the private component is subject to fringe benefits tax because you're an employee of the company and you're getting a a benefit. It's a fringe benefit. And fringe benefit tax can really, really make purchasing that car expensive. The other thing is that people tend to want to just not only get the instant asset write-off if they buy a car in a company, but they go, oh, I can get the GST back. But of course, if you've if you've purchased a luxury car and say, I mean, I've got a client who's got a Tesla, so let's say that's 200000 for want of a better term, you know, you can only get the GST back for the business component up to the cap of, a, which is around about $57,000. It indexes every year, but that's roughly what it is as well. And if you don't do the documentation correctly with fringe benefits tax, you're basically paying the cost of the car in fringe benefits tax over a five-year period. So you've got, okay, you've got the deduction, but you're basically paying it back in five years as well, Tom. So people don't really understand the implications of fringe benefits tax, and then you've got the GST implications as well. They just say, oh, we'll get $150,000 you know, deduction. And as we know from talking about instant asset write-off previously as well, it's not like you get cash back. It's basically just accelerating the depreciation that you'd be able to claim anyway. You just take it immediately. You just don't take it over the term of the car, you know, five, seven years or something like that. Uh, but and, and I get exasperated as well because when you see the advertising, people people look at it. They may think it's attractive, but there is something that um, I guess we've covered before, but it's worthwhile covering again, uh, just briefly, and that is whatever you spend and you think you're going to claim against your tax bill or your your income uh, needs to be specifically related to either what you get through the income you get through the work you do or income you get through uh, investments of some mm. kind. 
Um, those are the two streams of, of income, generally speaking. Um, and to not have that in your mind when you're purchasing um, something is a grave error because you would not normally, for example, be able to claim a pair of slacks that are generic, <laughs> that are a generic pair of slacks that you could wear anywhere. You can wear to the movies, you can wear all over the place. You just happen to wear them for work. You can't claim them as a deduction for work because you happen to wear them to work once a week. That's exactly right, Tom. And it's the same with a car, you know. So we know that from home to work is private. And that everyone should understand that. And from work to home is private. So it's only the extra things that you do um, that can be business travel related. And so if you've got one car, you know, I'm assuming that you're going to use that for private purpose. You can't tell me I just leave it in the garage if it's for private and I, you know, take Shanks's pony or, you know, tap, tap my, my, my key or I've got a little you know, push bike or something that I use, like that just doesn't, you know, cut the, the water cooler test now. So you've really got to understand that if there's any proportion that's private, we've got to carve it out. And the issue you've got with motor vehicles is not only do you have to carve out the private proportion, but you've got to then look at it and go, hang on, that could be subject to fringe benefits tax. And fringe benefits tax, and at this time of the year, everyone says it, it is such, it's a stick tax. In other words, it's preventing us from from um, giving uh, in-kind contributions instead of salary and wages. That's what it's there for. The compliance costs are horrendous. Does anyone do it properly? Well, most of the most of the educators in FB2 who, who are experts say, no, no one really does it that properly as well. But the exposure is is huge, and the ATO. What what kind? Sorry, what go. kind of exposure? Are we, yeah, no, yeah. What kind of exposure are we talking about here, Lisa? Because some of the listeners won't necessarily understand it. Um, if you get, uh, if you buy a car through the company and you're using the car, um. Uh, that car is there's a proportion of the value of that car that the company has to pay tax on. Then, if it's your own, if, if it's a private company, then you've got an additional tax bill to consider. Have I read it correctly? Yeah, so this is your fringe benefits tax, right? And as we know, a lot of people are pretty slack when it comes to documentation and everything, Tom. So for fringe benefits tax, there's two methods. One's a statutory method and one's a logbook method. And the logbook method's the same as what we do when we're trying to claim any sort of deductions for our car, okay? But with the statutory method, um, basically the way the FBT Act reads is that if you take your car home, it's available for private use, okay? So therefore, you're going to have to say that 100% of that car is for private use if you use the stat method, which means you haven't got the logbook method. Now, the statutory percentage is 20%. So this is where I said that if you don't do it correctly and you've bought the car and the company, you know, 20%, five years, you're basically paying the cost of that car back in fringe benefits tax in effect over a five-year period. And that's where the cost can be horrendous. And it's the full cost of the car. The deductions you can claim on the car are always capped at the at the car limit, which is around about 57000 But if you've got a luxury car, you know, the Tesla or, you know, really expensive Merck, 100, 150K or whatever, or that car that 
pranged into um, the tram stop in the, in the CBD overnight. I think that was like half a million dollar Aston Martin or something. You know, that's that's what you're paying fringe benefits tax on, and that's the the, the trick with it all, right? You've got to understand a lot of people don't even appreciate it. They think, oh, I've bought a car in the company. Oh, that's a really good thing. That's that's a good ego stroke sort of thing. And that's the approach that people take. But that's where you can really come foul of the fringe benefits tax laws. And no matter what you say about the ATO in terms of their data and the stuff up with the $60 billion amount and things like that, one thing the ATO are really good at is data matching for FBT. So the caution for the listeners out there is this. If you've got a car in the company and the registration is paid for by the company, so the car is in the company's name, the ATO can easily match motor vehicle records and go, well, if you've got a car in the company, I'm wanting to see a fringe benefits tax return for that because, you know, 99% of the time, that car's going to have some element of private use in that company by the business owner. Yeah, and the other thing that's interesting, uh, as a side note, just a little diversion, is that if you're um, not necessarily upfront about your car when you're dealing with the tax office, they've got different ways of checking what you do. I mean, yeah, there are people who post wonderful new images of, uh, of of a vehicle. It might be in their company, but they might flag it as a as a private car or a private acquisition. Mm-hmm. Um, on social media, it could be an Insta post. It could be a Facebook post. It could be a, uh, look at what I got for the family post on Twitter. The ATO, uh, the ATO will find a way of uh, building up database of information because you put all that out there in the public domain. That's exactly right, Tom. And those are the kind of things I find the ATO, once they start an audit on you, um, that's the kind of things the ATO audit, uh, the ATO start hunting for to try and justify things is your social media points. And we've got a digital footprint, as we know, and, and that's commonly available. Yeah, absolutely. So if you've got, you know, you won't even know if your Instagram account's been looked at and being screenshotted by somebody in the tax office. Correct. And then they're not going to come along and ask permission to screenshot something that is public information or screenshot your Facebook feed that you may not have locked uh, only to those that are known to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also your Twitter feed. I mean, unless you've got, unless you've locked everything up on social media, you've got to be careful how you deal with that information because it becomes evidence of a transaction that you've undertaken and if there are tax consequences to it, then the ATO will be able to dig that up and find a way of matching what they believe to be evidence of non-compliance with the records you've put in for tax purposes and you will get asked a very simple question Please explain what this is all about. And it's very easy to do. Um, the ATO actually had a had a webinar today that they at two o'clock today where they were talking about what they're hunting for for this tax time as well. And so everyone's working from home, so they're expecting, you know, say working from home expenses to increase, 
Uh, but they're also expecting motor vehicle expenses to decrease because people aren't driving around as much. And, you know, they're talking about the same things about, you know, can we rely on, say, the logbook that we've had for, for a car previously, now that we're in COVID land where everyone's not driving as much. So it was quite interesting what they were saying and, and also, you know, the data that's available to them. So maybe they won't tap you on the shoulder, but if a red flag comes up, they've got access to a hell of a lot of data um, that they can use to support or, can I say, deny any deductions and claims that you make. Absolutely. And, and if you've got, for example, uh, if you were working from home late March, early April, when you're heading back into the office, late June, early July, uh, you've got a digital footprint between point A and point B, that can also be used as a evidence of a timeline. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, so the, the, the forensic investigation someone at the ATO can do, or anybody can do, to be honest, uh, to start asking questions about your wealth, your holiday habits, um, uh, things that appear to not explain you know, the income that you've, uh, you've earned or a disparity in, in income, there are people who put that out there and you've got to be prepared to answer the questions and the answer had better be good. Well, yeah, it's got to be supported. It's got to tick all the boxes as far as the ATO are concerned because you know, they'll deny the deduction. And then what you've got to look at, if deductions are denied, uh, then you've got to look at what penalties are there. And if you've had a flagrant disregard for the tax law, I love saying that, flagrant disregard for the tax law, um, you, you, you could be up for 100% penalty. Um, on, on the shortfall amount, in addition to general interest charge and things like that. I was talking to an ATI officer earlier this morning and I said, you know, I've got a, got a client, um, it's companies in liquidation. And I said, I can't believe that it's in liquidation already. I mean, I've picked up the client um, for $77,000. That's all it is. And we were just having a general chat about it. And I said, look, it doesn't take much for a few failure to lodge penalties and then, you know, a bit of interest on top of it to get to forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 if you've got a client that puts their head in, a, head in the sand. So, you know, you've, you've got to stay diligent with all these things. And, you, and the most important thing is the taxpayer has the responsibility, even though we love them coming to us to prepare their tax returns, Tom. You know, it's, I think it's part of our job to explain to the client what the risk and exposure is with those sort of things because they're the ones that's signing that that form is true and correct, not us. The other problem, the other problem I, I sense, and you alluded to it when uh, you mentioned that there are different people that talk about available tax deductions. There are journalists who write about available tax deductions who haven't been close to the tax regime at all. Uh, in fairness, some people have been involved in uh, taxation over the years and they've moved into journalism and then they're very aware of where the dividing lines are in, in law. But not everybody is aware of that. And sometimes the expressions used might mislead people and this is where we get into what needs to be borne in mind uh, by a lot of people and that is always seek professional advice if you are uncertain. Absolutely Tom and it's not expensive and it gets to the stage where people say oh I'm going to do it myself because I can't afford a tax agent. Well we're not that expensive on the grand scheme of things. Um, and 
that is, I think, really important that it's a bit like an insurance policy to make sure that you've got all your ducks in a row, if that's the case. And the other thing that I'd like to say is when you know journalists who are very au fait with the tax law or they get some experts to talk about tax, I think we're a victim of the short attention span or the, you know, the 30 second soundbite, or if you want to call it that, Tom, where I know people that, that get um, cut and spliced into into um, programs uh, and 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 um, sessions, but and they know what they're talking about. But by the time the editor gets it and it's trying to fit into you know the next commercial break and things like that, you know they cut it out or they just pick up the sensational bit. And you know just like anyone that's taken out of context, that's that's what happens. And people pick it up and go, well, oh, that's what such and such said. And you go, well, yeah, but that was sort of a little soundbite out of a, you know, three-minute talk that someone gave that actually gave you all the checks and balances and the, and the watch-outs with it all. And it does annoy me when I see that happen because I know what's occurred. Mm. Um, and having dealt with the subject matter for 26 years, I tend to want to throw something at the television screen because at that point, I know what's happened. Mm. Uh, it's been subbed or it's been edited to the to the point where uh, there are elements and nuances that are missing, and you've got to be able to get nuance across, or at least you know, get across the danger of people doing something uh, without a full appreciation of what the tax law does. Now. Um, we mentioned this previously, Lisa. I've dealt with the accounting world for uh, 26 years now. But even I go to a tax agent to get some comfort on the judgment calls I'm making in relation to my tax compliance. I'm not going to go and self-assess. Now, I could probably do that. I could possibly do that. But I'm not going to self-assess. Why? Because I'm... There is um, a rule that I adhere to as a member of a professional accounting body, and that is not to engage in advice in an area where I am a non-expert. Mm -hmm. And that means... That's our code of conduct, Tom. Most professions that's have That's our it. code of conduct. Yeah, yeah that's our code of conduct. Um, so... The person who I will turn to is a tax agent who will be able to tell me whether this thing that I've been looking at and put in a particular category can be deducted or not deducted based on the conditions in that particular year for, uh, for tax. Yeah, and understanding the implications of it as well, because it's not just the tax law, it's the interpretation that the ATO has in this area and things like that as well, or what substantiation the ATO will allow through. So it's 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 not just it, – look, tax isn't just black and white. There's a lot of grey areas, so you need to make sure you trust your tax accountant. And, like, I know who you go to. Tom, and you trust him, and he gives you excellent service, okay? And so what I'd like to say to the listeners as well, if you're not getting the respect from your tax agent, just go and find another one. It is really easy to change tax accountants. And what I've found as well from a lot of my peers during JobKeeper, the ones that's given really good service is picking up a lot of clients because some of the ones that have been a little more... Um, 
oh, blase, if I can call it that, with their client base, you know, they're losing them to people that are really servicing them properly. So we've got to be aware of that as well. I think it, it's probably a good time just to just to go back and look at the bullet points that we've discussed um, during this particular discussion. Firstly, end of financial year uh, advertising is all over the place now. Yes, it may be appealing, but be conscious of the fact that not everything will be able to be claimed by you. Um, secondly, you may... Uh, irrespective of whether you seek advice or whatever else, you need to make sure that what you claim as a deduction is actually related to the income that you are earning, whether it be from your job or from investments or another kind of source. <laughs> so any deduction or any claim for a deduction must be related to what uh, is getting money through your front door and thirdly, if in doubt, it is always best to seek professional advice just so you know that there is, a, uh, there is some safety or safe harbour in what you're about to do and send into the ATO, either yourself or via a tax advisor. Exactly. And definitely, Tom, to seek advice prior to the purchase to just look at the implications because as I mentioned about FBT it could cause a tax debt or tax payable down the track that you may not have anticipated and just like um, you know I don't service someone's car well I don't expect expect my motor mechanic to give me tax advice. Absolutely and uh, that tax advice is only sometimes as good as what you pay for it and that's part of the part of the issue it's the same with any area of endeavor i think uh, well next week we probably uh, should touch on uh, the things people should look for in an advisor lisa because that's also important in terms of the the, the flags or the signposts of whether somebody's actually qualified oh absolutely Absolutely, Tom. and we will we'll, we'll, we'll do that. We'll do that in next week's uh, chat about tax matters. Okay, um, Lisa, Lisa, thanks for, for catching up with me again. My pleasure, Tom. Um, where can people find you on Twitter if they want to uh, direct message you on anything yeah, you've discussed? Yeah, that's that's probably the best one. So it's at Oztaxter, A U S T A. XTR Oz Taxter and yes, my DMs are open. You can slide into my DMs. Oh, I like saying that. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks. No worries. Thanks, Lisa. We'll, we'll talk again next week. And to the listeners, please be careful when you're looking at the advertising. Uh, don't take it as a cue to go out and splurge uh, on, on any sort of asset, on stationery or whatever else, unless you can actually claim it against what you've earned. And you need it anyway. Yep. And if you need it anyway. You've got to need it anyway. All right. Not a problem. Okay. Let's um, let's go. reconvene next week, Lisa, and thanks to the listeners for uh, listening to us today.